0: London is not just some city. Its spirit stands outside of time. Certain places have influenced its citizens. It is not only a setting but a presence, a character in various films, novels and poems. My name is Philip Rottgas and I search for London's spirit. I think There are two particular ways to explore the powerful and mysterious place that is London Through literature and through walking Follow me into a secret world Follow me to London beyond time and place In this series I will explore its spirit by walking the city and talking to London enthusiasts I invite you to join me Together we will discover London beyond time and place. This is Talks Beyond Time and Place. Hello everybody to Talks Beyond Time and Place. My name is Philipp Rettgas and my guests today are Vanessa Wolf and George Hoyle of London Dreamtime. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having us. Hi.
0: It's, uh, It is basically, it's the first time uh, that I have two guests in in, uh, an episode of uh, Talks Beyond Time and Place, so it is a bit of a premiere for me also. Uh, Vanessa and George are professional storytellers and uh, London Dreamtime is all about storytelling and much of it is inspired by the history and myth and folklore of London. So maybe we can start uh, by you telling us a bit uh, about your work and uh, London Dreamtime and what you do in general.
1: Right so uh, since about 2010 George and I have been roaming around strange corners of London so George is very good at finding curious tucked away corners of London that would be interesting and exciting to take people to. And then, um, so we'll take them there, maybe in the middle of the night or something like that. We'll get out our our picnic blankets and our lanterns and we'll all gather around and George will play songs on the guitar and I will tell them stories. So it's an incredibly low-fi, low-tech, a very, very kind of simple way of exploring the city and bringing it to life. And very often, both the stories and the songs are inspired by the location itself in some way or other. Sometimes very directly because they're the story that happened there, and sometimes more obliquely um, in that something about the place suggests. Um, sort of suggests a story or suggests a theme mm. so it might be like for example we told an ancient Egyptian story of, of kind of old magic near the crystal palace sphinxes so yes. there's no you know it didn't really happen there or anything like that but because the sphinxes are there they're not really ancient Egyptian they're Victorian but um, it's still suggested um, it will be felt, felt right to do
0: yeah. it I know what um, you mean yeah
1: Yeah, that's right and so our idea between us is to um him with his music and with me with my storytelling is to bring these spaces to life
0: yeah what
2: what happens is quite often because we we love to walk around the city um jointly and severally is that we'll um we'll come across locations like there was that time when um I, I went past the the docks at Woolwich that place is amazing which is it's it's in a part of London, which nobody really necessarily wants to go. It's not mm. a romantic place, but, um, but the, but the docks there are date back to Tudor times and they're incredibly deep, cold water, uh, wet docks. Derelict, well, derelict, yeah. but all you have now is urban fishermen. And for some reason, these gigantic carp
1: huge golden in, in, fish swimming around in there
2: the most odd place and you do find these these kind of forgotten particularly on the edge lands of london these forgotten places which are, are very inspiring and so it's it's quite odd when all of a sudden these you know you you meet probably about 30 to 40 people at a really out the way part of london where nobody would otherwise go so we create uh just for the time when we're doing the event uh, an attraction um, and yeah. it's really
0: interesting. Yeah, I think so. So, did you um, did did you start the the whole professional storytelling thing by walking around and thinking, actually, this would make a good story. We should do this, you know, as our job. Or, or how did you did you start doing that?
1: Uh, no, that wasn't how it. That wasn't really how it it started out. Um, what happened was we were just in a situation where we didn't have any money. And because both of us have had really non-traditional careers, um, we were
0: the best careers. <laughs> I <Yeah>. guess,
1: <laughs> you don't have much choice, but, but we, we, neither of us had, had much in the way of useful qualifications for kind of getting a job. And we were really, really just very confused about what we could do, but we did have these kind of artistic both of us you know very creative very artistic and stuff like that and normally that just kind of sits in your life and uh, you don't earn money from it but um, we were inspired by uh, certain uh, members of our family who had gone on to kind of have artistic careers that if you approach it in the right way in a kind of business-like way you can actually use your skills as a as a lever to earn money and at that point we were just so desperate we thought we've got to do something so let's see if we can earn money from storytelling and music in in this kind of a way and we discovered that we could Um, and so it really came very much from a kind of financial imperative um, and then went on to be something that we found that we couldn't live without whether or not we needed the money um, as it happens, we still do need the money, but, um, you know, there are there are other things that we could do now, uh, but we still choose to carry on doing these London Dreamtime events on a regular basis because they're so magical and fulfilling.
0: Yeah, right. Yes, and uh, as, as one can see on your website, and basically if, if we look you up on the Internet, we can see that you're very successful uh, in what you do. And um, of course, I'm going to put a link to the website into the oh. description of the <laughs> talk. And uh, yeah, so you've worked with with and for so many institutions and and people, and you performed in, in, in corners of London and in museums, theaters, churches. You do a lot of work with with children. So can you give us a bit of an of an overview uh, with whom you have worked with already? if that's possible <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes so um george and i do london dream time together but storytelling as a sort of medium is is my thing um and um george also as well as his music which is like the
2: 90 of what you do yeah I'll, I'll do early years storytelling in locations so for some reason um i unbeknownst to me i'm i'm very talented at working with uh early years sensory up to around about the age of eight or so storytelling so i will do storytelling in places like for example the london eye i've i've told stories in the crypt of st paul's cathedral um, and in various museums but vanessa tends to uh because vanessa uh, has such a, a larger range of storytelling so vanessa can do all ages of storytelling uh it's well with it's basically your total skill set yeah that's where you find yourself in the in all of the all of the museums and yeah it's uh, it's very
1: wonderful because quite often i'll get a paid job for example um the victor the vna the victorian albert museum um commissioned me to create a story about gabrielle enthoven who you won't probably have heard of and i certainly hadn't heard of and, (laughs) and no one who comes to the vna has ever heard of she was um a theatrical archivist. So not, you would think, perhaps the typical subject for an Mm. early years um, children's interactive storytelling session. However, we made it uh, uh, very silly and and fun and there was a lot of dressing up and things like that. Um, And I was able to take that story to other places where people needed to know about I don't know, women who whose story have not been heard before or Victorians or, um, you know, where they basically just wanted something really fun. It's, it connects with pantomime and things like yeah. that. So um, I, I would work with I've, I've worked with all kinds of museums, um, every kind of museum um, and in, in pretty much every story related capacity, um, worked with. Um, businesses do a lot of corporate work things like johnson and johnson if they want lloyd's bank if they yeah. want to have a kind of halloween celebration they might go let's have a storyteller in our offices for you know 150 of our staff and that's a you know for people who perhaps they're not really into the arts and they don't really you know they'd never think of going they're not literary and they wouldn't mm. want to go to storytelling, but they still want to hear a story around Broadgate and or, or Aldgate, where they where their offices are. And, you know, they want to hear a sort of spooky story about that and that that's where all the kind of research that I do, all kinds of feeds into itself. The London Dreamtime events feed into the corporate events, the museum yeah. events feed into the schools events and the schools. You know a pr- great practice for for strange and wonderful stories kids love listening to just about anything <laughs> so it becomes very very organic yeah um and and very wide-ranging which is just what i love about it really the variety
2: i would say the south east London folklore society that that helps i run a, a folk a monthly folklore society uh where i i quite often do the research for for the talks but sometimes um and and we get other other people to come in and that that's inspired a lot of uh of location-based stuff particularly dr d Uh. yeah
1: that's right so george is really interested in folklore and uh he runs has run for about 10 years isn't it it's about
2: 10 to 12 years um
1: a, a monthly meetup in the top room of the pub where people will come, they'll perhaps listen to a speaker discuss strange aspects of folklore, like there might be a talk about mermaids, or there might be a talk about uh, London's necropolises or something like that. And uh, we've been doing it over Zoom as well, haven't we? Yeah. And um, it's amazing what kinds of things that turns up in the way of material, I've come and i've told stories there when it's you know relevant and stuff like that so yeah. it, that all feeds into it too
0: great yeah ne- next time it's possible i'm gonna i'm gonna join you i'm gonna come to the meeting if oh, i'm allowed oh, <laughs> oh
2: yeah of course yes. again,
0: totally, well nowadays it's amazing
2: <laughs> it's so easy <laughs> if you want to find out about the folklore society uh go to uh i can send you a link to the to the Cunning folk uh that's what i what i run the Eventbrite so that you can see the all of the online events which kind of run in tandem with london mm-hmm. dreamtime vanessa tends to co-list them as well
0: yeah okay yeah please uh, <laughs> please do i'm i'm interested so uh, but i just thought uh, when you said george that, that you mainly work uh, or, or you more work with with children more or with people people <laughs> with people under five yeah basically mm-hmm. um so but I, I sometimes believe that that no matter the the age, people react the same way. Adul- adults can can become children again when when listening to, to a good story. So is is, this, is there really a big difference uh, in between when you have an, a good story, you know, when you come to the audience? I, when it comes
2: to- as as somebody who spends a lot of time watching, uh, you know, when we do the London Dreamtime shows and and seeing Vanessa. Um, Vanessa is able to uh, do, do the ad- adult stuff, which tends to have a little bit more nuance to it. Well, it's surprising how much nuance you can do, even with very, very early years, uh, um, how much you can leave unsaid in the story and let the audience uh, draw their own conclusions. I mean, certainly when you, when you from about four years on, uh, you can be more complicated Uh, and deal with uh, more challenging themes than people would necessarily think. Um, And that's that's really good. It's a question of, um, when you get before that, you have to more concentrate on sensation and joining in. Yeah, Um, and some music and and actions and things like that. Because
1: they can't understand us.
2: Yeah, so um, I've been doing stuff with Royal Parks where I uh, we work with. Uh, there's a project called Mission Invertebrate, which is about raising awareness to of uh, of insects and worms and snails uh, yeah. in uh, in the Royal Parks. It's incredibly good fun, um, and 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 that's a really interesting project uh, to co devise the, the 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 early years stuff for specific uh, specific parks. So that's all yeah. fun.
1: Yeah. I think one of the big differences with younger children and um with adults is that I think it is very important to be very very gentle and with young children and that's why George is very good because in his heart he's a very gentle person I think and so I think that you know he people can sense that when he's there that they don't have to worry that they don't have to be scared there's not going to be a sad ending mm-hmm. nothing bad's going to happen everything's happy everything's safe and i think that you know actually actually a lot of people want that even as adults um but also as adults you kind of want to venture into strange deviant, confusing uh, contradictory uh, possibly scary like there's big demand for the kind of yeah. scary stories and things like imagine.
2: that mm-hmm.
1: um and um yeah early years really I like mean, that. that's interesting
2: because you're very good with ghost stories and dark stories. Whilst it, I can I can deliver a folklore talk on kind of dark law or let's say you know demonology or witchcraft or something like that, but actually telling the tale I find quite difficult. I mm-hmm. think because I'm uh, uh, well, it's you're simply you're at simply hearts. way better at, at, the, at the more challenging things.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can imagine that that'd be, uh, that we that. There's a, a huge demand for the for the scary stories and, and, and the these scary places and, and things like that. What what's the uh, the most what's the weirdest place you ever told a story at when you when you perform outside, maybe?
1: Oh I would say uh, off the top of my head, the uh, evicted, the roof of the evicted Haygate estate. Yeah. So. The Haygate estate was a 1970s failed experiment in southeast London. It was an absolutely monumental, enormous, monolithic, brutalist piece of architecture. Just just massive, really, really massive. And um, one of the things that it had in the centre of this kind of block was a load of really beautiful trees. And... um, They could have tried to make it a bit like the Barbican and they could have invested in it and made it really really nice but instead what the authorities chose to do was evict it knock it down and build something new the problem was was that uh, people didn't want to be evicted because they knew that they were going to be sent away from their communities and probably never come to live back in such a beautiful place and so they clung on really tightly to the blocks, even though they were ugly and they'd been you know, drained of resources and all the rest of it um, because that was where their communities were, that was where their homes were, that was where their jobs and lives were. Um, And in the end, the the authorities basically just forced everybody out by hook or by crook in a a really awful, awful way um, until there was just one person left in this entire thousands and thousands of homes, one person left. And because this one person was left in his flat, They couldn't turn off the electricity and they couldn't knock it down it was a
2: deserted council estate about 500 square meters so 500 by 500 by 500 and it had had
1: walkways with twisty corridors i mean it was and 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 lots of the houses were almost as they had been with people just like walking out and they did use it as film locations for all kinds of things and people used to go and shoot their pop videos there and they all did graffiti there and they had they kept chickens they had enormous chicken coop in there like a gorilla chicken coop they had gorilla gardeners in there doing all kinds of things but people generally wouldn't go there because it felt transgressive and scary and everyone was kind of a bit scared that there might be I don't know violence there or something like that so people did tend to avoid it as well and we thought let's do some storytelling there which we we ended up doing several times but I think the most beautiful time was just before it got knocked down we Mm -hmm. found a way of getting onto the roof of one of the buildings and um, the views were wonderful. The journey onto the roof was just incredible because you had to go through all of these things. It was so popular, we were turning people away. We, well, I mean, we was I've never been so overwhelmed with people trying to book on. <laughs> and um, we went up there and we told like scary, um, myths about darkness and and the darkness kind of came on us from all the different
2: corners well, you know, I, I, I sang an alistair crowley poem He
1: sang an <laughs> alistair crowley po- right. alistair yeah. Crowley is a satanist so i sang an alistair crowley poem up there and it was that was pretty weird but we've done some really I weird I'd just things. like
2: to clarify alistair crowley wasn't a satanist oh sorry he founded the religion of thelema oh sorry but, but let's just
0: continue I yeah but but i but i made this mistake once and somebody someone corrected me and i was right like, right yeah. always, <laughs> important <laughs> to always important to <laughs> yeah yeah i understand that so uh i i read that you also worked i think vanessa you also worked with uh, stephen coates on the story of the uh oh, romping yes. cemetery time machine that uh, was
1: yeah. brilliant uh yes yeah, so- uh, So Stephen Coates uh, uh, and and us we go way way back and actually one of our very first events we had a come and tell your true life story thing on Hampstead Heath Um, and he came along to it and at that time, so this is a really long time ago and at that time I had no idea who he was or anything. And he said, oh, I'd like to tell a true story at the end. Is it all right if I stand up and tell a true story? So he kind of told the story about how he became the Clarkenwell and kid and, and all ki- and uh, went in the sewers. And it was a wonderful, wonderful story. And um, we've kind of always been friends ever since. And then I read his blog about the Brompton Cemetery so-called time machine, which is this uh, tomb of Hannah Courtois, which is, as as you probably know, rumoured to be time machine and in it Stephen Coates suggested that it was in fact a teleportation device uh, which could teleport you perhaps in time but in space and the idea was, was that it linked up with other similar tombs in the other magnificent seven cemeteries which is I was just blown away so I I contacted him I said I've got to tell the story of this can I can I is it all right can I get permission to, (laughs) to use your idea and he was like yeah of course you can and then he arranged for us to get into Brompton Cemetery at night and tell it like he was there and and I was there, and uh, you were there. And was right? George was, was there, yeah. and um, and we brought people in. I mean, it was it was truly brilliant. I just think his ideas are are out of yeah. this world. Well, the
2: London Month of the Dead, which he organises, yeah, uh, with uh, who
1: else? And, uh, Suzette
2: Field. With, with Field, that is amazing. <coughs> That's a really good yeah. season event.
0: Right, yeah. But uh, did you did you try to to teleport yourself to, to one of the other Magnificent Seven?
1: I'm afraid yeah. I'm not at liberty to uh, divulge
0: okay. that, unfortunately. Yeah, okay. I, I understand that, yeah. <laughs> but I, of course, I like this story because, uh, you know, as I, as I said uh, before the introduction, my my topic is basically basically London beyond time and place. So I mm. thought, oh, this is brilliant. The time machine yes. that, that not only a time, but maybe just teleport you through space so yeah
1: um yeah could i could i say or apropos of that that we've also done some really interesting collaborations with um an organization called portals of london you are aware of them of course and uh, we've done two joint events including our first ever digital event our first virtual event was um talking about the Barbican and the strange time space slips around the Barbican so you can walk in one doorway and then you've literally no idea where you're going to end up because right it just takes you to all different places and we also did one um with them in Abney Park Cemetery which was really really good yeah so it's it's one of the privileges of of what we do is getting the opportunity to kind of collaborate with brilliant innovative
0: yeah that's that's really that's really great i i understand that uh, so uh, what was the scariest story well, what is the scariest story that you know that you that you told
1: that i've told <laughs> uh, well i think um weirdly enough um so i've got this one story um about a babysitter which seems to for some reason absolutely terrify people when i say even even quite a lot of adults However, the worst. I got asked to do a story for a masked Halloween ball about a séance, and I did a story about um, Harry Houdini's famous séance, and I ended it up with like spraying silly string over people as if it was ectoplasm. So. Um, People seem to, as they got more and more drunk, people seem to get more and more scared of that particular story. (laughs) But actually, the biggest reaction that I've ever had to a scary story was when we were doing um, an adults event at the Cutty Sark, which is this beautiful big ship in um, Greenwich, and a storyteller called Olivia Armstrong, very lovely um, and brilliant storyteller, invited us to come and guest with her and it was kind of dark river and sort of dark tales of the thames and i kind of slightly misjudged the story it was a premiere of a story that i'd never told before about greenwich about the cutty set about that particular area and i just didn't really get it right and i made it a lot scarier or darker than i think i'd intended to (laughs) and because i made it more scary than i meant to i didn't do what I would normally do which is to flag up these are going to be dark stories so people weren't really expecting it I think they were kind of expecting folk tale that might include death in it or you know something like that yeah. um, and this was again it was about a Ouija board and, um, and like a, a kind of haunted Ouija board story um, in the foot tunnel and I at the end of the event I was really upset because this one woman had gone running out and had to be comforted by her friends which I would um, and and everyone was kind of like really <laughs> throughout the story and, and like kind of hiding their eyes and things like that and uh, at the end of it nobody came up to me and said oh we really enjoyed your storytelling mm-hmm. or anything like that and I was like, oh my god what have I done. <laughs> um, and I think it wasn't that the story itself was so terrifying. It's just that it wasn't quite appropriately enough because it was a brand new story. I hadn't really road tested it enough to know what the effect was going to be like, and yeah. so um, I just not quite let people know what to expect.
2: I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, it was it was it was brilliant. Yeah, I think your Highgate vampire tale.
1: Oh yeah, the Highgate vampire story.
2: That's off the chart. Yeah. because it's because it's true yeah um and i, I, I just love uh, when you actually go to the location where it's supposed to have occurred one of our one of our first dates we broke into highgate cemetery yeah. right. um and we both <laughs> it, uh, we both uh, independently of each other believed the other person to possibly be a vampire well, I was, and got really scared I'm so scared
1: it's, i don't normally get scared in cemeteries after dark um because you know there's nothing to be scared of really but um and I wasn't expecting to be scared it was all just a big joke and then um and suddenly I got so, so, so scared and we had to leave, didn't we? Yeah, Yeah. it wasn't fun. It wasn't like a sort of fun, oh, ho, ho, isn't this scary kind yeah. of thing. It was like a, a mortal dread. I have to get out of here right now kind of thing. Yeah. I yeah. do think Highgate Cemetery, West Cemetery is... Um,
2: the one with the big catacombs. Possibly
1: yeah. got some um, occult issues. I really do. Maybe because of all the the strange kind of rituals and things that happened there in the, in the 60s. Um, I do actually wonder if, if well, there were actual Satanists. Yeah, I mean actual Satanists.
2: That was pretty heavy. Yeah, Yeah. and
1: and they did some pretty pretty heavy stuff there. And I actually think I I do wonder if it hasn't just had a bit of a knock on effect on the whole place.
0: Maybe yeah, it's it's not 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 really peaceful anymore. That's that's right. It really isn't.
2: It really isn't. No,
0: it's not
2: really a very happy place actually. No. Yeah. In comparison to to other places, it's like, like Nunhead. a, Nunhead's amazing cemetery, it's yeah. just and Abney Park as well. It's got a lovely vibe to it. Kensal Green is really really interesting. It has an interesting feel to it. Yeah, but no,
1: I'm not really a fan of Highgate West Cemetery. Yeah.
0: Anyway, anyway. We have to look out for the Highgate vampire if we ever <laughs> yeah. visits uh, the cemetery. So, yeah. in general, what is so important about stories and storytelling? Ah,
1: uh, well. <laughs> We are storytelling creatures in that we make sense of our lives by turning them into narratives and stories. There's been research done that has shown that if people have experienced something traumatic, um, let's say, I don't know they were, attacked or let's say they're a refugee and they've had to flee somewhere or something like that but if they aren't able to put their experiences into a a narrative and and tell them to somebody then they will uh, be more unhappy and suffer but if they are able to um, if they're able to find a way of uh, putting their experiences into stories then uh, they're able to deal with it Uh, There's also been research done that show that when people hear stories, they actually have feelings similar to the feelings that um, someone would have when they were actually experiencing those things, Mm -hmm. not just listening to it. And also that uh, things like people's audience, if they're all together, they're like their breath and their heartbeats and things can synchronize when they're all listening to a story together. And so I think that stories are the, the kind of, Uh, The sort of building block through which we make sense of the world that we live in, which means that storytelling is obviously very, very powerful. But it also means that as storytellers, we have a huge, vast responsibility because uh, you cannot overestimate the power of a good story, whether or not it carries a message that you perhaps agree with. Mm -hmm. So storytelling is no more good or bad than a hammer is good or bad it's simply an incredibly powerful tool
0: yeah yeah yes i I agree and i think it's also interesting that you know you can have one story but when it's told by by different people with maybe different backgrounds yeah it can be so different, totally different.
1: So different, entirely different. Yeah, yeah we, t- right.
2: we
0: tell the same story in, in completely different ways. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's right. Absolutely. Mm. And then you can get someone who perhaps comes from maybe like they have views that you disagree with and they tell the same story and you're like, oh, I hate that story. And then, you know, someone who, who you agree with tells the story and you're like, yes, that's exactly what I, <laughs> you know, I love that story.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And often it's it's whether the story kind of chimes with your feelings about what the world is really like.
0: Right. Yeah. And it also has an impact on, on how we maybe perceive history because it depends on on who tells a, a, a story or the history of a place and uh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: oh, massively. Entirely. S- I certainly, Entirely. Find, certainly yeah. find
2: that with research. I I did a, I gave a talk on uh, it's a what is it a malis maleficarum German book, um, and I had to get the right translation because the. The, the original translation I had, had the prejudice of the translator overlaid with the uh, with the values of the age. So I had to go to a different translation and it's incredibly important.
0: Right, yeah.
1: It's full of stories, that book. Oh, it's
0: yeah. very good. You, you've, you've taken a few from that.
1: Yeah, I've taken a few from that. Yeah,
0: yeah great. So yeah. Uh, which area of London has the best stories? Can you answer this question? Oh, is is
1: it... East London? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I reckon. Although, actually, actually, um, around East London and Wapping, so near from from like the sort of city going out towards um, Wapping and uh, Spitalfields around there, there are some really amazing stories there.
2: I think the thing is yeah. though, is it's whenever you go. I mean, I, I've been in. You've been in London all your life. I've been in London for twenty-five, maybe thirty. Well, coming up to thirty years now um and when you spend a, an amount of time in a particular corner it it just comes to life particularly yeah. when you put down roots yeah. but there are there are tales all over the place so like for example you go to Hammersmith and you don't think there's anything there mm. yeah. and then there's the Hammersmith ghost which yeah. is amazing that's actually you know and loads it's like, of
1: stories in Hammersmith. and it's, you know, Incredible and it's stories. ridiculous yeah yeah um
2: and you I think that's the funny thing with, with London is just because so much of it has been built over again and again and again. So you don't know which bits are old or new. It's all old. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. But uh, some, somehow I was expecting that it was maybe warping Spitalfields, the, the east, the east end in this, this part of the east end. I was. Expecting. It
1: does. It does have I mean, it, I do think it does have more than its fair share. And I think part of it is that they uh, they've been. Uh, I think part of it is because it's a a sort of dock area, so you get people from all around the world. I think um, part of it is because it's so near the city, so um, lots of things have kind of happened that are connected with the City of London itself. Um, But I do do kind of agree, and then there's all the things connected with kind of the Match Girl Strike, Jack the Ripper has got like its entire... Uh, centre there. I'm not a big fan of the Jack the Ripper stories, but um, they've spawned many other kind of researches and I think people have pulled things up in a way that perhaps they haven't. Then you have Shadrach. Yeah, then you've got Shadrach and his, I mean, you know, there are a lot, a lot of stories there. Um, Shadrach's exotic animal emporium and and just so many more, but that's to do with the docks again. So yeah, yeah, I do. Um, But having lived in South East London for such a long time now, Um, and done such a lot of research here um, I do feel that that it's very blessed with amazing stories in the way that perhaps if you go out to somewhere like Dulwich or something like that as you go out maybe towards Croydon I mean there are still stories there but not in the same kind of thickness Mm. as there are in Wapping
0: yeah yeah but that's that's interesting because i'm 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 not from from london and when i was uh i don't know 16 or something like that i was always into english literature history culture and and things like that but of course you know jack the ripper was also one of the things that kind of got me interested in into the the whole history and and symbolism thing if if you like but what i found really inter- interesting when i was um in london for the first time and it has been ever since there's i, I somehow feel connected to this area to spitalfields whopping i don't know why if if i sometimes you have a feeling to towards a, a certain place and you can't explain why and every time I, I went to london i was like this is this is the area where i feel most most drawn to, where I feel most home, if you like, which is which is interesting because I often wonder why why that is, why people feel drawn to certain places, but Sometimes. maybe also because of stories that are your own personal story maybe, and it fits the, the story of and a there's,
2: place. That, there's that architecture around Spitalfields as well with Brook Lane and that beautiful church. I mean, the yeah, church in Spitalfields is one, one of the, church, the finest yeah. Hawksmoor churches, and there's the Ackroyd book about Hawksmoor.
1: The fact that so many, it's been a home for immigrants, I think that makes it, yeah. yeah, for so many generations, yeah. um, I think that's one of the other things that makes it um, a sort of interesting and vibrant place.
2: Yeah, yeah that, that's the, particularly when you think of Brook Lane and the transformations mm. over, the, over the centuries there. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's just interesting, you know, I'm, I'm, I walked with a friend uh, through, through Not- Notting Hill and she said, oh, this is, this is so, I don't know, this is so beautiful, I could live here. And I thought, yes, it's nice, but I don't feel anything here, you know, it's just yeah, yeah, so personal how you perceive yeah. a, a place, yeah. Um, I recently had a discuss- discussion with one of my guests, uh, Frank Malloy, he's also a tour guide and, uh, and a writer. And we we talked about or we we had this question if words or objects have more durability and we didn't really come to a conclusion. But what do you think as storytellers and people who deal with stories? Words, it's a really difficult words. question. I don't know if there is an answer, but it was really something that we we both found very interesting.
1: Um, I I'm going to go with words probably because I'm biased towards storytelling, but I think that. St- I think that stories have, um, uh, have, have such durability that, um, for example, I, the, the last story that I did for London Dreamtime, our online event, was The Smith and the Devil. And that story has been traced back. They've uh, traced it back via kind of linguistic studies to show that it's, uh, it dates from the Bronze Age so it is a really really old story and lots of these kind of traditional stories like jack and the beanstalk and um sleeping beauty and stuff like that cinderella are not hundreds of years old but thousands of years old and told in different versions across the whole world
2: Mm
1: so you know there's the native american version of cinderella there's a you know Indian version of Cinderella there's a the Japanese version of Cinderella and they've kind of almost grown up independently and I think that's because they have uh, they, they express something very somehow fundamental that we can't pin down about what it means to be human hmm. and yeah. to, to live in the world with its physical you know the physical world of, of kind of metal and water and stuff like that they're not myths they're, they're folk tales it's it's yeah. incredible
0: yeah that's right so uh, we, we go with uh with words yeah <laughs> <we do. laughs> uh, Yeah, i would agree george what do you think
2: <laughs> well i th- i think the thing is is that all objects ultimately um ultimately vanish i mean we're coming to a time now where people are already worried about information on obsolete uh, storage systems, you know, Mm. three and a half inch floppy disks or mini disks and stuff like that. And software has gone to a point now where the only way that you can attempt to keep the information is, is in a hard copy. But but you know interestingly paper decays you know mm. you, you actually are better off with the with with the manuscript than the paper that that's actually preserved longer so but it all disappears in the end um, you know I, I immediately you know when you said that the first thought which came to my head was London Stone which is just oh, by yeah. Cannon Street Station where they um, where they've they still got the the sword uh, the sword marks from Jack Cade's rebellion when mm. when he hit it and said I'm the Mayor of London now um before they all got drunk but um but but that's that's even now it's in it it used to be in a really rubbish container and actually just in the last couple of years they've actually made a really nice uh, place for it but even so the london stone gets passed by Hmm. By more people, and I think that it's probably more important to people who are told the story of Jack Cade's rebellion yeah, the story, than than the, stone uh, than the well. actual stone itself. Yeah. It's only if you've heard the story that it right. has a significance. Yeah. So yeah, words. <laughs>
0: that's that's a good example. I, I will I will remember that if I have this discussion again. Thank you, George. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it really is. But yeah, that's the thing. That's yeah. I this this is this is a good example. So. Um, I, George, I, I know we already said that that you you uh, also do your own music and you accompany some of your uh, events with your music. But uh, can you tell us a bit about what you what else you do? Do you do you put well,
2: out? I have I run um, I I go under the name of Cunning Folk, which you can look up on the internet and also on you know like Spotify and Deezer and all, all of the different things. And I've I've released about three or four albums as Cunning Folk. Uh, where I do, uh, I started off uh, doing site-specific London songs, actually. So songs about uh, the Crossbones burial ground, um, songs about uh, the legend of One Eye Gray, all sorts of particular things like that. And then I, um, then I found myself very much interested in, in magical traditions. So a lot of my 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 more recent stuff is about uh, London witch trials and, uh, but also uh, British magical practices and stuff. So I I I do, I and that kind of works well with the fact that I run like online rituals, uh, with the with the wheel of the year, which yeah. is something I do, and and my and the folklore society I run. So they all kind of work together. <laughs> in between, oh, there's the phone going over there. Sorry. <laughs> so that that's kind of what my practice is. In between, uh, you know, being a session player, so I, I play for for different bands. Yeah, uh, including there's a UK band called Stick in the Wheel who are doing. Mm-hmm. Very well, folk band, and I'm their bass player now, so that's good. Yeah, um, uh, mostly working within folk, uh, folk music. That said, uh, uh, I've started uh, about five or six years ago. I was uh, I was signed making uh, music for a for a Norwegian called Prince Thomas, uh, and started making uh, making abstract abstract electronic dance music again. I'm very influenced by um, bands like uh, Can, Cluster, mm-hmm. uh, and Neue. Um I'm really into Rodelius at the moment, actually. Um, and there's, a, I think there's a Berlin a pianist called Arnold Cassar. He's very good. Well worth, well worth. If you like, if you like abstract, uh, abstract, uh, abstract music, and if you like modern classical, Arnold that's yes. okay.
0: Yeah, I will check him out. Great, thank you. <laughs> welcome. So, uh, both of you, would you encourage others to do what you do?
2: I, I would say uh, we, all, uh, we all have our unique path. Um, looking uh, for things which interest and stimulate you, um, always being inquisitive, or always have two or three books on the go. Hmm. Um, Look for ways to nourish yourself as a creative, and if um, and if that means that your path is as a creative, then then do it. Uh, location is a great inspiration, and finding the stories uh, which just lie beneath your city streets will take you to amazing and interesting places, no matter where you are.
0: That's right. That? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Great. So. Um... Yeah, but you, you just again mentioned the locations and the places. So um, has, has dealing with London and its stories and history, has it also maybe changed your view of the city?
1: Yes, so um, I can say most definitely that it has. So I've always been a great walker in London um, ever since I was 11. And I used to bunk off school, so I didn't really go to school very much for the first time few years of secondary school and instead I used to kind of just walk and it made me feel connected with the streets but... Um, there's nothing so enriching of your kind of walking and looking around than when you know the stories, you've researched the stories and also looking at places and going, oh, I remember when I told the story of such and such <laughs> up there or I remember in the park when we did this, that and the other. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so mm-hmm. that enriches it. But I think, you know, n- knowing what the stories are, knowing what things mean and knowing what you've already imagined them to be to be as well. So you know walking in the barbican as well as kind of knowing about the history of the barbican i also know about the stories that i thought of and that we thought of with portals of london where we were thinking about you know slips in time and space and where we thought they might be and where we thought they might need to and that's very enriching too so my god just transformative of my relationship with london
2: yeah a creative relationship with the landscape is amazing Mm -hmm. something which was very formative for me was uh There's a book of Lost Rivers of London Mm -hmm. where you could actually uh, walk the routes of forgotten rivers like the Fleet or the Walbrook or the Ephra. And actually just walking down city streets, but knowing that occasionally you'd come to a drain and you could hear the course of the river, it made you, uh, it transported you back in time um and you, you started to see that and and certainly the fact that we're both always looking for locations means that when you go on a wander there's a sense of being inquisitive um uh, you'll see a blue plaque up there and up, and after you've realized that it's commemorating um another uh, sometimes it's actually somebody who's interesting quite often they're they're, they're not but you know like for <laughs> example the one on old witch tube uh on the strand uh is for uh, William Lilly, who was a seventeenth-century um, uh, Puritan Protestant, who also happened to be a pioneer of astrology. Um, so you just find yourself going, "Oh well, I, I need to find out more about this guy. Um, how you know?" And then you find out that William Lilly um, attempted to uh, attempted to break uh, King uh, King Charles the First out of um, out of out of prison. Uh, literally with a file in a cake Mm -hmm. um and then then all of a sudden you find that the stories come from there but i think being inquisitive about looking um looking for nooks and crannies the the places which people wouldn't necessarily see yeah um that that goes into your artistic practice really You, you look look for the hidden things
0: yeah that's the thing but I, I agree I, I think oh, I always say that I, I think the best way to to get to know London to perceive London maybe to understand London is is walking and literature or walking in stories mm-hmm. in in in, yeah. in when we deal with that so I think walking is very important because this is the best way to really see and experience mm-hmm. the whole place but if you know the stories that's even better because otherwise you just walk and, and you don't Really appreciate maybe. Yeah, what, what I you...
2: found reading Arthur Arthur Macken's stories mm-hmm. of London. I'm not sure they are familiar with Arthur Macken. That, mm. That's that been very very good, and actually, uh, the British Library's been releasing collections of short stories based on London. I've, um, I've probably got one over there, but I can't reach. Uh, but you, you you do find the the different ones. It was by Eliza durnley Let's see if I can find. Yeah, I,
0: it's it's. The, I have it over here. I have it. Oh, into, oh, the, into the right. London fog. He's got it. Yeah, some. right. Yeah. Um,
2: the the other
1: thing is I have um, this
0: in the also over here but I haven't yeah, read it yet.
2: <laughs> um,
1: we, yeah. I have done a couple of events with a woman called Siren who yeah. um uh, is a renegade guide who you you know of course.
0: I I do know uh, not in person but we yes. uh, exchange emails. Um,
1: yeah. and um she has a really unique way of kind of looking at um looking at the world and but she's but uh, I mean I think she's she's strong in so many fields but one of her particular strengths is kind of people's stories Mm -hmm. and so she tends to look at kind of modern um histories from people's lives and They are so interesting, and working with her was just brilliant because you know she took me to lots of places that I'd walked past dozens of times, Mm. and kind of there'd been a bit of me that had just thought, "Oh, this isn't for me. I won't look in here." Oh, this isn't you know for me. I won't go into this shop or whatever. And she's the kind of person that, that whatever it is, she'll go. Oh yeah, I don't care whether it's for me or not. I'm going to go in anyway, and um and that just takes you on an entirely it's an entirely new way of looking at and it's still through stories but it's an entirely new way of looking at the
2: city right. when you when you told the story of uh, uh of aspects of the american werewolf in london oh, yeah. which you, now that was amazing because a lot of uh key uh, it's one of my fa- favorite films um uh, but what we did there was Vanessa was telling stories of the production aspects of the film um, and taking to, taking us to specific locations in central London. And I would talk about uh, werewolf lore because I know quite a lot about that. Um, and that was that was a really interesting way to engage through film location. And um, that was really interesting. Yeah, we talked
1: about the, the making of the film, which was actually um, a, got some really interesting tales to it. Um, as well as talking about uh, so, so bringing in the, diff, the different aspects and actually um, we, I used to work in the film industry so I'm very interested in kind of film production mm-hmm. and what happens when you shoot and make a film so um, and that was an entirely new departure for us we would never done anything about kind of making films before yeah. and it was really successful wasn't it, it really we was. definitely once we get the chance to uh once we get the chance to go out again we'll be doing that um in person but also we did record it didn't we so people can buy the tour if they're in mm. in the west end they can buy it and listen to they can download it and they can listen to it on headphones and walk around that right. way so people can if they want I don't
2: think I've got a ticket link for it anymore. I do like. I actually, that's a, a, a real favourite game of, of ours is to watch old films and and try and work out exactly where the locations are. Oh, yeah, and yeah. you can often you can often find that. And sometimes, um, sometimes really bad films um have great kind of almost document documentary style location work of the time. So there's a there's a really terrible movie called uh called The Pinch. Uh, oh. Which oh, stars uh, Stacey Keach and Freddie Starr, and it it, <laughs> it has no redeeming features <laughs> to it, apart from it has one shot one shot which goes past the Westway and 1970s, uh, Notting Hill, really cool. yeah. and you get a real sense of of what it was like at that time. Oh yeah, and that, that was amazing. Yes, that, that's really yeah. good. Yeah, uh, and actually, yeah, Long Good Friday is excellent for Southeast London. That's got some really good location work for
0: Southeast London. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna watch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will. Yes, but, uh, but I, I also, uh, George, I also did w- once. I, I followed the the fleet. Basically, I started in in Hampstead, on Hampstead Heath, oh, yes, yes, and yes, I yes. walked down to, to Blackfriars Bridge, and it was well, an interesting walk because if yeah, you know, if you know the story and you know there's there's this hidden I river. Think that's
2: the thing. Um, when you have a when you have a good guide. Through it, um, and particularly when you realise that some of the aspects close to uh, close to, to Fleet Street were designed to be like a canal, to to be inspired by Venice. Mm-hmm. But uh, the problem with um, the problem with a lot of London rivers is that they they weren't the cleanest of rivers yes, in the yes, world. So um, so um, so th- well, maybe they were more accurately uh, <laughs> emulating Venice than they necessarily would have liked, but. Um, <laughs> But it was well. Actually, I, that really does Venice a disservice because
1: I read that some monks in white friars actually died from the uh, from the fumes. Yeah. So...
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, that sounds about
1: right. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty revolting.
0: Yeah. So, um, what are the the next upcoming upcoming projects for for the both of you?
1: Right. So, um, I am. Uh, I'm, uh, I've am i got two strands to what I'm doing. Number one, I'm looking to curate more. So to create projects that allow me to make opportunities for other storytellers. There are so many brilliant storytellers out there that I want to be able to share their work and their stories. So that's one. And then the other thing is um, I want to find new technical ways to bring our live events when we go back to doing them. I want to find ways of bringing them to people that aren't simply uh, someone standing in a corner with a camera filming it. I Mm. want to find a way of bringing it to life for people who are in other countries or in other parts of the country so that they can really experience the adventure of going to these places and um, feeling like they're there and I think that somewhere in this idea, is going to, it's going to be about tapping into the imagination because that's the strongest of all of our senses, in a way. If we can uh, only tap into people's imagination, then um, they really will feel like they're there with us. So we're dying to get back to real life events mm-hmm. as soon as we can, we will. But I don't want to abandon what we've done with um, virtual events either.
0: Yeah
2: yeah i mean with with our live events i'm looking at upping the uh upping the musical game several ways i mean our last gig before lockdown we played at the union chapel and uh that was that was really excellent oh, was where amazing. we where we, we had play, where, where had full band and stuff like that but i'm also looking at when we're doing our slightly more um informal events really upping the uh upping the 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 production value just it you know just just even when it's just the two of us and i can see how we can do that now um so i'm I'm excited about that personally speaking i've because i've started working on uh on live streaming i'm going to keep my live streaming going which i really enjoy i've got uh there's a lot of folklore which i'm working on at the moment and also quite a lot of uh, early modern witchcraft history so I'm, i'm going to be giving talks on uh on Mostly British, but I've got a feeling that I'm going to be um, re-researching Malleus Smilificarum to give a talk in the autumn about that great. because it's one of the one of the key books. There's another book by Nida called *The uh, The Ant Hill*, which is worth uh, worth doing. So yeah, uh, I'll be keeping it topical by by uh, doing a lot of work um, based in the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries. Yeah, yeah, um, great,
0: yeah. Are there still uh, still topics or places in London you want to research and find stories about? Or did you cover the whole thing already? Uh, so
1: much. I think um, I'm interested in West London, so the area around Richmond and particularly the river. And then um, also North East London, so around uh, Mortham Stowe and those kinds of places northwest London, I think there's there's so much more to uncover once we're able to start traveling because this year we've been very limited to places that we can walk to from Peckham um, and I want to you know sprawl out across London uh, so many yeah.
2: places. I'm, I'm researching on a on a Spitalfields figure actually, Culpepper the herbalist, uh, so I'll be, be doing some more research on that and what happens is quite often when I do in-depth research on a particular uh, person for a folklore talk, it inspires you to to give a story. I mean, yeah. we found that when we had... Uh,
1: Dr. D? Yeah, and
2: uh, what was the guy who had his... Uh, he had a synagogue on London Bridge?
1: Oh, um... um Helm? Uh, no,
2: Heimfolk. Heimfolk, yeah. So quite often, when particularly when I'm researching uh london based uh occult matters you'll find that things will work on so yeah when i when I do some research on the hermetic order of the golden Dawn, that oh, yes. will, uh, <laughs> Maybe. That, that, will uh, that will give some more location stuff and you do find that there's because there's quite so much uh so many interesting people uh to to research uh for for slightly more folkloric talks that that will kind of wend its way into story yeah, yeah. right
0: yeah. I um, I had one talk with a with a friend of mine, he, uh, Robert Kingham of, of Minimum Labyrinth. I don't know if you know him. Oh, yeah, yeah. and and he did a uh, a documentary about Pagan London, like two or three years he ago. He came
2: and gave a talk at the Southeast London Folklore Society yeah, about okay. uh, Yeah. I like Robert a great deal. He's uh, he does some very interesting things. He did um, he did something about the um, UFO sightings out in the east of England as well, which is right. very very good.
0: Right. Right. Really. Uh, yeah i just thought uh, yeah
2: sorry his his interaction with with london um with london uh, particularly uh ancient pagan history is is very very good yeah um, and uh, th- those particular videos were excellent i think he talked about the dagenham um, mm. the dagenham figure which is fascinating i'd like to go and see that when i'm allowed
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. I just thought that you would you would fit <laughs> to to what you do. So yeah. And yeah. He's he's a good guy. We've got his book, Baroque London. Mm, oh, that's a really yeah. good. Book. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. And I had a um, another talk with a uh, Stephen Sally He's uh, he wrote a comic, or he wrote the story for a comic, Dark Lines of London, which is about Doctor D and and the School of Night, and and he kind of discovered a ley line that goes from Mile End to Blackheath and through the Red hedge foot tunnel basically so maybe that could be interesting oh, for wow, you too. Oh that sounds
2: interesting. Yeah I, d- I mean I thought well with, with regards to Leylands and stuff like that I think that from hell is very good for that. It's uh, it's an excellent reimagining. Yeah. Uh, and what's quite interesting uh, because I come from the town in um, in Dorset where uh, Alan Moore has the uh, has the has one of the people one of the protagonists burial Buried there. It's interesting to see quite how well that particular part was researched as well. Mm. It's very good, very good Yeah, it?
0: yeah. That, that's that's my one of my favorite books ever. One of my favorite literary books. Yeah. And I, I, one once I did the uh, basically, I did the the the, the pentagram. <laughs> I walked all the. Oh, you did it. So yeah. Oh uh, yeah. One one day from from morning to night. I I had to take the, I I took the bus when they took the coach because. I couldn't take a coach. But then uh, one one or two times I had to take the tube because it was basically impossible to get from A to B yeah. just walking without, you know, to, I, I couldn't have done it in one day. But that was that was fascinating. And I felt like like a com- complete lunatic. I thought if people knew what I was doing... <laughs> just Those no kind walking. of
2: psychogeographic rambles can be very good. There was the guy who um, managed... The, well, he managed the... Uh, Echo and the Bunnymen, um, and then Bill Drummond. Uh, he wrote a book about whenever he visits a city, he writes a word on the map and then oh, yes. follows the route of the word, mm-hmm. which I think is a re- just a really fun way of engaging with a place. And That's right. You've, you've got these YouTubers nowadays who draw straight lines on the map and then document themselves just crossing vast distances on an entirely straight line, and I really think that's fun. I think that's great.
0: Yeah, that is, that is fun. So... Um... Final question what is your favorite place in london and do you have a favorite place in london
2: <laughs> I really like temple mm. I think that uh it's it's such a peculiar church um in a it's it's like one of those places where you come around the corner and you just discover this really strange place mm. Um,
1: I I have a favorite place. It is um, just along Tottenham Court Road. There's a little square um, which has got, and the side of the building's got a great big mural on it which has been since the uh, uh, the 1980s and um, the square itself is very kind of deserted and people for for many many years they wouldn't go and sit there and the rumor was that it was kind of built over a plague pit and, and that's why everybody, even the birds, kind of wouldn't go there or anything like that and it's uh, along Tottenham Street so Tottenham Street comes off Tottenham Court Road and on the corner of that street is um, a, a, a little tiny toy museum the most cracked broken scary weird twisted Victorian toy museum called um, Pollock's Pollux Toy Museum mm. and um, that particular corner I was on my route when I used to bunk off school and I used to go down to Covent Garden and watch the street entertainers I always walk past that and I would look kind of longingly at that particular little corner particularly the mural and just feel that you know some kind of wonderful grown-up me would live in one of these little houses across the thing and then um, by some absolutely extraordinary chance I found a room to rent when I when I was had left home, just left home, I found a room to rent that was very, very cheap, just over one of the um, sandwich bars there. And so I moved in. Great. And I actually ended up, which <laughs> never happens does it kind of living in my dream location for about five years. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and living above this, this little shop, uh, next to this mural next to this thing next to Tottenham Court Road, right on the corner where the toy museum was. So I've got to say, that's my favorite place in the world.
2: There used yeah. to be an internet cafe. Though. Oh, an internet cafe. <laughs> it was called Siberia. Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> I love the names of these forgotten shops. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, one, one should collect them. before. Oh, that. yeah. <laughs> but that's a great story also. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, really, really good. Yeah. So um, thank you very much, Vanessa. Thank, thank, thank you, you very it. much, George, for this wonderful conversation. Uh, as i said i will put a link to to the websites and everything that you mentioned into the talks description Uh, so i wish you all the best for for what's coming next and i hope to see you see you in real life uh once that'd be wonderful that'd be great yeah yeah. you would really and uh, yes as i said thank you very much vanessa and george for your time thanks for having us